Welcome to the Best Boss Ever podcast. I'm your host, Christine LaPerriere, president of Leader in Motion. On this show, we're going to gossip about the best boss you ever had. We're going to hear stories about things that they did that helped you feel valued, helped you feel engaged, and really inspired you. We want to hear about the bosses that changed the way you look at everything. If you want to hear more, join me at christinelaperriere.com and sign up for our newsletter, The Whip. All right. Well, welcome to the show. Today, we have Mike Lindstrom with us, and I am very excited to have you on the show. I'm excited to be here. And the reason that I brought Mike on the show, this is really actually quite special for me, is that Mike was my first coach. So back in 2003, 2004, I got the opportunity to work with Mike as he coached me through really taking a deep dive into what I was doing, because I was a vehicle engineer at the time, and him really trying to help me understand who I was authentically and kind of what kind of career I really wanted to lead. So I think it's pretty incredible. I thought he had the coolest job on the planet (laughs) at the time. So it is pretty incredible that today I'm a coach as well and kind of followed in your footsteps, but you were definitely part of the inspiration that led me down the path. So I am thrilled to have you on today, Mike. The best part is when student becomes colleague, you know, at at some point or vice versa. That's even better. Why don't you share a little bit of your background? I mean, it's so funny because people anymore, they go on Google or YouTube or by Wikipedia and they see all this stuff. Oh, he's a writer. He worked for Robbins as a speaker and all this stuff. So I try to make it real simple. So I did go to law school, but I'm not a practicing attorney. So literally the month after I graduated from law school, the gentleman I'm going to probably talk about today, his name is Dan Lear, was working for Tony Robbins, the motivational speaker, who I didn't know from anybody at the time, hired me basically out of school to become a speaker and a coach working for Robbins for two years. We, we did speaking events on the road. And then in 2000, 2001, we started a coaching company in La Jolla, California. It was called Robbins Results Partnership. And we worked predominantly with entrepreneurs, salespeople making over a quarter million dollars, professional athletes and celebrities. So I helped Tony build the business. And t- I told him it was time for me to spread my wings. I started my own coaching practice, not in direct conflict. He gave me his blessing and said, good luck and you know, represent our brand well. And I, I never looked back. So here I am. So, you know, with that, then tell us more about this best boss ever. That's always always the question. Yeah. So Dan Lear, it's L-I-E-R, if you want to pull him up. Dan's in our industry. He's a speaker. He's actually the top speaker in Las Vegas. I mean, during COVID, obviously, it was much difficult, right? No assembly, you know, getting together lives. So that hurt his business a little bit. But imagine you, you, you live uh, right outside of Las Vegas, but you can do two or three keynotes a day, drive down to the Strip, work with some major corporation, get paid a ton of money, talk for an hour and go home, right? So he's got a pretty sweet gig nowadays. But with Dan, I didn't know from anybody. He was a mutual friend that introduced us because my buddy had just joined the team at Robbins. He was from San Diego. He said, you got to get in touch with this guy, Dan. I'm telling you, they're looking for more people. They want energetic people. People are educated. They're going to really represent Tony's brand in the North American territory. Now, when I heard that word, North American territory, I'm thinking, wow, this sounds like a travel job, right? Sure enough, it was. We lived in five cities per year. So my first city was Atlanta, Georgia, then Philadelphia, San Francisco, LA, Chicago, New York. It was awesome. We'd live there for six to eight weeks. And we would basically promote the the Robbins brand, but we'd also sell a one-day event. It was called the Competitive Edge at the time. Now it's defunct. It's a different, different program. So Dan was literally the guy who hired me to join the traveling team. So you imagine you have 12 people and this guy, Dan, and his wife, Tammy at the time, 
traveling all over the country. So he was my boss day in, day out. We lived in the same community. We'd see each other on the weekends at the pool because we had corporate housing. We'd see each other on happy hours on Friday. So not just like a boss you would go see at an office place. You're on the road living literally with this individual. So he literally took me under his wing. He's 10 years older than me, exactly. So we just had so many things. He said, you're, you're me 10 years ago, man. I see myself in you. So I want to I wanna make sure you don't stumble the way I did. So he, he took my success and failure very personally. I was lucky to have him as really my first real boss, I would call him. And, and Tony was his boss. So I'm one degree removed from Tony Robbins himself. So tell me a little bit about when let's say the team had a mess up or they were doing something again, you're living with the person too. So that's not, that's not easy, but give me an example of how would Dan respond? And that was the other part about having him literally with us on the road. He would go out to meetings with us. So we had a script we had to follow to a T. I mean, Tony is really big on framing context is what we call it syntax, the order in which you present information. We had to record ourselves, send videos in back in the day was tapes, right? To Tony, he would review them and then give you feedbacks. But Dan would go out to live meetings with you. And I'll never forget this. My first cycle, that's what we call the city cycle, was Atlanta. And, you know, I'm fresh out of law school. I was actually the, the most, quote unquote, educated person on the team. I was a little cocky, you know, single guy, just kind of thinking I had the swagger. I was I was actually a competitive um in law school, we would do a mock trial. So I was used to being in front of a judge, a jury, speaking, presenting came very naturally for me. So to have Dan come out and ride with you, your boss come out and sit in the meeting. And I will never forget this. It was a, it was a, a real estate company and he recorded it and we were in the car and he asked me a question. And now I know this famous question. He says, Mike, let me ask you a question. He goes, zero to 10. 10 is the best presentation you've ever done for us. Zero is the worst ever. What would you rate yourself? And I'm thinking, okay, loaded question. How do I answer this? No such thing as a 10 because you can always improve, right? And I said, I'd say eight. I'd say eight. And he just goes, wow, wow. Never forget that. He said two wows, which I didn't know what that meant at the time. He said, I would have gave you like a two. So we got a problem because you think you're an eight and that's a two. So we got a lot of work to do. So this weekend, I shouldn't, I better not see you out at the pool. I better not see you at happy hours in the neighborhood. I better not see you out the team. I want you to nail that script. I want, if I knock on your door at eight o'clock Saturday night, okay, I want to see those big post-it notes all around your condo and having you have walked and paced that whole thing hundreds of times to nail the script because you don't have it nailed. Now, that was my biggest first lesson is, holy crap, I'm not prepared. There's always another level. I mean, there's so much coaching going on in this moment, right? I didn't leave my apartment all weekend. I studied that script. I literally paced that. I had the post-it notes of every chunk, as we called it. And I did my meeting on Monday. Did I did much better, obviously. But he came out and rode with me a month later. And he told me he was proud of me, which I appreciate. You know, having your boss and coach tell you he's proud of you. But he said, you still got work to do, buddy. You're only you're the newest guy on the team and you still don't have it. There's There's tonality shifts. There's body language or certain anchors that have to go into that script that you don't have nailed. So I was kind of like the first lesson of the worst case scenario for my own self, but I, I never saw like the veterans majorly screw up. I just saw myself screw up and I know how hard he was on me because he had to over-prepare. I love this story. This is such a great story, especially given that I work with so many sales teams, right? And we go through this, right? Going on the road and people thinking they nailed it. (laughs) 
And meanwhile, from a third party observer, you know, it's not close. Now, why did that not demotivate you? You know, a lot of people listening would be saying, oh God, that's not my best boss. That's my worst boss. Right. Well, the Dan, in the interview process, Dan knew my background. I was an athlete growing up. So I played baseball, basketball, football. He asked me those kind of questions in the interviewing process. Tell me about your background. Were you a competitor? Did you play? Were you an athlete in any way? So he knew I had that athletic kind of mentality, football mentality, being in the locker room. He was a two-time national champion basketball player at Fort Hayes State. So he, I knew he was an athlete. And he understood that coaching element, right? Beat them up a little bit, let them think they're good, but not really. And then, you know, pick them up and you build them up. So we kind of knew that about each other. So I noticed he didn't do that with like my friend, Tiffany, next person to come in right after me. She was the next rookie. Tiffany came in and I remember he tried that approach with her the first month and it did not work. She came home to the apartment crying in tears. What did I do? Why did I leave my job to come out here and live with all you guys? I don't even know you guys. I'm I'm like, I said, look, I went through this, Tiffany. I'm going to help you out. I promise we're going to keep you in and study your script. So I think Dan, as you know, as a coach, you have to know how to tap into that person's motivation. Some people love the tough love. And some people don't. I mean, we we learned quickly that like Tiffany, that didn't work for Tiffany, but that worked for Mike Lindstrom, you know? So he changed his style for Tiffany. So she stayed on the team then? Yeah, she, she stayed on the team. In fact, she moved up to kind of like the next level team and, and really kicked butt. Dan was very adroit at kind of knew what he, knowing what he was dealing with, with each individual, male, female, older, younger, some of the some of the guys on the team. And I remember I was 25, 26 years old, right out of law school. We had two, uh, team members in their mid-30s, closer to Dan's age. So he could kind of talk to them different, you know? He was also a father. I wasn't. I was a single guy. So he would always kind of play the right angle, but he was very good at kind of knowing what he was dealing with. That's amazing. And, you know, to me, that is definitely a quality of a best boss ever who knows how to say, Everybody on the team is important, but I am going to shift my style to build up everybody. But I'm what I'm really hearing too is that he took your performance or your capability and really did unleash it and built you up to a to a varsity player from a junior varsity, right? Or or maybe a little leagues. Like you walked in the door and you know thought you were in the game, but he was like, no, 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 you got a lot longer to go. Well, you know what's funny? So there's a I don't, I, I mean, I'm not private about this. I'm very public about it, but I don't get asked these kind of questions about like bosses and mentors. So this topic is near and dear to me. So my, so I had a coach named Robert Alderman. Robert is like, he's like a famous coach. He passed away. God bless a couple of years ago, lived about late, late seventies. He was literally Tony Robbins coach, not mentor. Jim Rohn, R-O-H-N was his mentor, brought him up in the business, right? That, so he kind of considered him as a mentor. He brought in Robert to coach him on understanding behavior, understanding the disc, like a technical perspective. So once Robert and Tony became really close, Tony required uh, Robert to coach all the leaders in the firm. So I got promoted to basically run that coaching company. Robert became my coach. So I had I had Dan Lear and Tony over here in within the company, right? My bosses. And then I had this coach outside of the organization that Tony said that you're going to learn a lot from this guy. And I, and I remember the coaching being very different styles, but they were all saying the same thing. They're like, Mike, your stint here at the Robbins organization will be short because you're an entrepreneur. You're a high dominant person. You're a high influencer, low steady, low compliant. This is classic high D, high I. You're going to learn and go. We, I mean, the fact that you've been here as long as you have, 
we're surprised. <laughs> right, so, right. But, that, but that's important to know as a coach that you're dealing with someone. And this is a story you and I had when I saw your disc profile and you're an engineer, it just didn't add up. I'm like, why is she doing this when her profile tells me she should be doing this? Right. So it's, it's having that ability to adapt the styles based off that person's own style. Right, right. That's fantastic. So we picked your brain on best boss. Now you've had a chance to work with lots of different leaders. I'm kind of curious, what are the trends you see in great leaders? Like not just the vague piece, but give us the stories, give us the meat and give me the examples of those leaders, you know, where you really do see them break away from the rest. So you're right. I got caught uh, caught up in after the Robbins days, I was a dot-com kid too. So I got lucky to find that whole wave, you know, same, same time, 99, 2000, 2001. So watching that startup mentality, right. Believing in this brand, we're going to take it public and everyone's drinking the Kool-Aid. Like I went through all of that. It was awesome. It was great success, great failure. I mean, I made an amazing network of people. So I've been in and out of startups over the years, like even in the cannabis industry, for example, someone would say, Hey, you may or may not be involved with what the, the product is, but we need to build a company. Can we have you come in and help us? Because we'd like to replicate Fortune 500 companies in the industry because it's never been done before. To me, that's exciting because you're going to take a leader who started something. I don't care if it's a piece of technology or you know, in the cannabis space. You're going to find a quality about the leader that they're trying to replicate, right? That's how you build a culture. Culture is, is the base word of culture is cult. Common language, common belief, common direction. The problem is we think of like Jim Jones in Ghana and 800 people drinking Kool-Aid. That's what we think of when we hear the word cult, like Apple, Google, these companies are so cultish, Netflix, because they got everybody from the top down drinking the Kool-Aid, but they understand from at the top what they're stirring, right? They, they, there's a method. And I, that's what I've learned over the years, watching great companies go from like good to great, like Jim Collins talks about in his book, is that the great leaders are, are very methodical about what they're putting in the Kool-Aid. It's not, it's not accidental. They are being successful because they're, they're driving home a certain thing during that meeting. They have core values that are literally published on the wall. Every single individual, like at Lululemon, they know purpose and why, period. Like I don't care if you're answering the phones or you're an executive. Purpose and why is a big part of Lululemon's culture. So that's, that starts at the top. Speed of leader, speed of pack. Oh, I think that is such a perfect example um, because I talk about that all the time, like culture, you know, I work with so many leaders and I'm always talking about how, you know, people mirror one another. Like they just do. We are, we are humans and our brains are built to mirror one another. And you can watch us either subconsciously in a room when one person crosses their legs, you'll watch three more people cross their legs or one person yells at their employee and you watch three more people think that that's what leadership is. They go to their next meeting and they yell at the next person. And so it is just phenomenal how you've explained culture and being intentional with it because I feel like I'm always trying to tell that story. I love the idea too of the use of the word cult. You're right. It's kind of a, it's got a negative jorative to it. I guess it's like not, not one that we use often, but it, it is what culture really is what it is. Right. So Dave Linegar is the founder of Remax, the real estate company. And he's really progressive about training. And I've done training with those guys for a long, long time. And Dave and I are friends. He lives in Colorado and he's got national, you know, international franchise sales, you know, territories. So it was a couple of years ago, we had me come in as a keynote and a trainer. We actually did some of the old school stuff. We did like the board breaking and stuff that, you know, some people kind of see maybe as cheesy in the modern day. Tony Robbins still does a firewalk, gimmicky or not, people want to go do it, right? So I, I, I took a little couple uh, 
just creative liberties. I said, do you guys know what a cult is? Did the whole bit in front of the room. And I said, you know, you guys are a cult. Dave's in there back in the room laughing. They all stood up and like clapped for themselves. They were so proud that they, that they would be called the cult, the red, white, and blue balloon. One of those recognized brands in the real estate industry in the whole wide world. They're proud of that, you know, but, but you go talk to Dave Linegar and his wife and started that company in the early seventies when they flipped the real estate model on its head and said, why are we taking your commissions? You work so hard. Why don't we just take a fee, give you hundred percent of your commission and let you build your own brand. Just go fly the balloon. We'll help you do it. Right. Genius in 1972 or whatever it was. So to have him, you know, tell you that he's very proud of that. It's because he knows the method. He knows what he's stirring. Oh, I love that. I know some people are going to be smiling while they're thinking about that. Cause you're right. We all know Remax. Like that is not, that's not a hard name to identify with. Right. What an incredible brand. So any last, like, you know, kind of words of wisdom when you're thinking about all the people out are listening are in cultures where they're either high performers or they're on their way to leadership. And I'm really hoping that this show helps inform them about how they think about leading. I'd really like people to think not just about being a good enough manager, but truly trying to be a best boss ever and really influence people's lives for the better. What are your words of wisdom for them? So the one thing that I've become more and more just congruent with probably the last five years, I mean, COVID really helped me bring it home even further, is when when somebody hears the word brand, they think of a company, right? Apple, Google, Redax, et cetera. In sports, you have the logo on the front. That's the team, right? The logo that everyone recognizes, whether it's the you know the Dallas Cowboys or New York Yankees, all these big brands in the world. But it, the, the name on the back of the jersey, that's you as the individual. Being really mindful of your personal brand, personal brand. You, you're not getting out from underneath the company brand and it's not selfish and it's not egotistical. You have to be mindful of your personal brand. How do people talk about you behind your back? If I interviewed three to five people in your company and said, hey, tell me about this individual. What's great about them and what's not great about them? Are you aware of that? Do you even know your own profile? Have you ever done the disc profile or Drake or Dots? And there's a million of them out there. You go learn all of that, get coaching, right? I mean, that's what you, that's why you do what we do. Watching that person really truly look introspectively and say, I need to work on myself to be better within this bigger brand called the, com- the company, right? So I think that's something that gets lost. I mean, I, I hate to say this, and I won't name company names, but there are certain companies out there, they don't want that. They don't want you building your personal brand. They want you to be a worker bee. You show up at eight, get your one hour break at noon and you're off at five and we pay you the same money every two weeks. We don't want you to grow. We don't want to you know, disrupt the apple cart. Okay. But that's a problem. Those companies will never have that big culture that you and I talked about. The, the Dave Linegers of the world, you, they would never go work for that company because they promote branding at the individual level. So if you want to really take a good hard look in the mirror about the company that you want to work with, you want to look at, can I grow in this company? Can, uh, do they invest in me? Do they, do they, are they going to give me grief that I'm going to go take three days, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday and need a day off without, without having to do PTO because I want to go to a seminar to be a better negotiator? I mean, that's where you start to see, do they really believe in you? And I think that personal branding thing is so big and it gets lost for some reason in training. Oh, I love that you're saying that I'm grinning because I teach personal branding is a huge portion of a lot of the leadership programs that I work on. It forces you to reflect too. And it forces you to get authentic about what you're really trying to be as far as a leader. So if you go back to that idea of best boss ever, it makes sense that that person would be waking up knowing that they want to be a best boss ever. (laughs) That was part of their personal brand. It was part of the intention that they were bringing. 
I, so I have one exercise. I'll give this to you. I don't remember if you and I did this. Obviously, I'm a journal guy. What's written is real. And I carry this everywhere I go. And it's not a diary, people. It's a it's a journal. It's a capture mechanism. It's a thought. It's a it's a quote. It's a movie. So I don't sit there every night going, "Dear Mike, oh, today was kind of a weird day, right?" That's not. That's a diary. This is a yeah. journal. Journaling is something that you just have close to you when you have random thoughts. So here's a journal exercise. Great prompt. You write down the always date your pages, right? Date the page so you can always remember. And you ask this one question. I am at my best when dot, 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 dot. And you fill up a whole journal page in bullet points. Now, I know my journals have 28 lines. I've got six by nine. There's 28 lines on this journal. That's at least 28. I have to answer every single line 28 times. I am at my best when I wake up early. I am at my best when I work out. I am at my best when I have private, authentic, real time with my kids every night before they go to bed, right? Whatever, I'm just rattling stuff off, but you got to create that that best version of yourself because no one's going to do it for you. This manual wasn't gifted to you in college or law school for me. I had to go find people like Dan Lear and Tony Robbins and Robert Alderman to force me to do these kind of things. So I looked in the mirror and said, I'm at my best when, and I know what that is. And I know when I'm not there, if I'm incongruent in any way, it's stressful. You know, when you're not at your best, you know, this, right, right. Oh, I'm off today. I've done it on stages. I've done it on coaching calls, but you have to have a blueprint of you at your best when, and really go in depth with it and be brutally honest with it. Oh, what a fantastic prompt. I, I'm laughing because I, I actually use that as part of our part of the personal branding exercise. Such a simple way to tap into, you know, what your values are, what energizes you, what works for you. And I think that's a great call to action for people who are listening today. Love it. Mike, this was fantastic. I really appreciate your time. Is there a simple way anybody, if they're listening right now, I'm sure they're going to be pretty fired up. How do they stalk you on uh, social media? So I'm on all social. I mean, what I've been gravitating to more and more lately is LinkedIn. So I love connecting with people on LinkedIn. I've never turned down a request on LinkedIn. LinkedIn does a good job of policing its community. Facebook, I might not say that. There's people I might accept or not. I'm kind of private about my personal stuff on Facebook, but uh, LinkedIn for sure. Mike Lindstrom. Comma JD, that's my law degree. If you Google it, you can see the bald-headed guy. But my website is MikeLindstrom.com. There's a D in there, L-I-N-D-S-T-R-O-M. I'm in the process of redoing it, by the way. So it may be up or down or not where I want it to be right now, but it's always going to be live. And all my social media links are on there. I have a YouTube channel that's attached to the website. So that's the easiest way. Just go to MikeLindstrom.com or hit me on LinkedIn. Lovely. Thank you so much. This was awesome. Thanks so much. You know what? I want to leave you with this because I have told your story on stages. I told you this before and I mean this. I'm so proud of what you've done because going from being that worker bee engineer type of job, right? Which you can, you can relate with to go out there and want to change and impact the world. How much money we make in the world is directly tied to the influence we have on how many people we influence. So if we only influence four people, well, you're going to get paid according to that. But if you go out and stand on stages and write books, you're influencing hundreds of thousands, millions of people. And that's not just financial wealth. That's the abundance of mindset and the sharing. And you're doing that. I'm so proud of you. And it's an honor to all your podcasts and, and, and do this and have fun. Oh, thank you so much. And I love the fact that you were really the start of that journey. So that's so it's so special to have you on. So thank you thank so you. much. Appreciate you. <laughs> Take care. If you want to hear more, join me at christineleperriere.com and sign up for our newsletter, The Whip.